Hello, the internet, and welcome to this episode of the Weekly Zeitgeist. Uh, these are some of our favorite segments from this week, all edited together into one uh, nonstop infotainment laugh extravaganza. Uh, yeah. So, without further ado, here is the Weekly Zeitgeist. It is the brilliant and hilarious Nick Vatteran! Hey, you all came in with a song. Should I have a song? I mean, you might, might you know. as well. <clears throat> you post your score in the air like you just don't care. Come on, tell me what's the word. A wordle. Hey, there it is. Uh, wait, what happened with Wordle while I was gone? I heard this. Did it switch? On- what happened? Someone did- got switched ownership. Yeah, I lost one of my two. Well, one of the times that I got two, got it in two guesses off of my record. What? Uh, oh, absolute wow. bullshit. I don't know how it happened, but it's really kind of the main thing that people are talking about is that indignity that I faced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the main news that you missed, Miles. It's what TDZ has been about for the past couple of weeks. Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. They're doing Quadril now. I you see Quadril. Well, yeah, what's yeah, that? Quadril. That's bad for me. That's yeah, because they not only not only is it for like you're, you're playing Wordle on four grids. And like that, that adds a complexity and makes it a little bit more difficult. But then you also have like practice games that you can just like go and play. Like, so you can just play it all day. It's, it's yeah, not good. I, I, the, the, it is the one a day is sort of, uh, good, you know? Yes. The one a day of it all. Yeah. It's Quirtle seems life ruining. I'm going to try. It's reckless. Not to, yeah, it's, it's irresponsible. Reckless. <laughs> <laughs> Downright irresponsible. I will not allow it. <laughs> Nick, are you, you you play Wordle? I uh, I do. I like to call it words without friends. Yes. <laughs> I think that uh, you know a lot of these people will post their scores on the internet, and I think that's a, a little too much. What I do is I I go out and I etch my scores into the uh, dirt caked uh, faces of the forgotten. That's what I do. Yes. If I'm going to be obnoxious about it, I'm going full throttle. Much more cursed and uh, haunting way (laughs) to share your. uh, Yeah. Yeah. No, I I share every time I get it, get it in two guesses and act like that's just what I do every time. Yeah. And and usually like with a cocky gif or something like the dude (laughs) rolling a strike and saying, who do you think you are? I am or some shit like that. (laughs) It's obnoxious. It's the one place where I have cultivated my image to be the most obnoxious piece of shit that I can imagine. So wait, why are are people posting it in five or people are like, I, I'm not that good at it. And I'm telling everybody about it. I don't know, man. People, people have their own strat, their own posting needs. I people guess. are all fucked up in their own kind of way. <laughs> I don't That's know. Right. But it's not for us to try and figure out. I'm not a psychologist. Hey, exactly. <laughs> you know, I just let them make me look good. That's what I'm. That's what I'm. Yeah. I'm going to only for. post if I don't get it. There you right. go. <laughs> I've definitely seen that. Too. <laughs> All right, Nick. And that we're, we're going to stop. I know people like Wordle I, has to be so annoying to people who just like aren't into it. Don't give a shit about it. And no, I uh, love I'll, hearing about it. Yeah. <laughs> that was so I'm so very convincing. <laughs> that was very convincing. <laughs> what is something from your search history? This is kind of embarrassing but i was looking at the last thing just 
now that I searched and it was best glue for wine corks. Mm-hmm. I've been collecting <laughs> thousands of wine corks from friends and family for years and I'm trying to make a big mosaic out of them. I like to do a lot of big paintings uh, and my mm. sort of doing art is one of the ways I cope with the really painful and difficult work that we do around the country with, with people who are confined in jail cells all over the country and the work can be really difficult and stressful. And one of the ways I just personally cope is doing making art. And I now have been asking everyone I know to collect wine corks for me. And I have thousands and thousands of them, but I have no idea how to actually make them into anything. So I was trying to figure out how to actually glue them together. What do you think? What I mean, what are, what are we talking here? Like you would paint each one and sort of mosaic it out, or you're trying to use the natural graphics on the cork to inform how you get your image or what, you know, walk, walk me through this process. I've been, pa- I paint each one. Mm-hmm. and make them into sort of a colorful mosaic, usually depicting like some poem that I like or some aspect of the work that that we do. So yeah, it's maybe not the best use of my time, but I think the consensus seems to be glue gun. Mm. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, there we go. Glue gun, but, when, in, when doubt, in doubt, it does feel yeah. like the glue gun is always is always a good option. Like, is there anything that a glue gun does not glue, like does not work on? Is is my question. I mean, something that you need to guarantee, like structural integrity of, you know, like crafting. I'm sure it's fine, but do you, you know, do you repair a baby's high chair, you know, with a glue gun? I don't know about that one. Maybe. I do, but I mean, that's just me, <laughs> just because I'm I'm wild with a glue gun. Do you remember when you're old enough to use a glue gun? That felt like a like the first like driver's license you get as a child where it's like, man, you can't fuck with this glue gun because that metal tip will burn the shit out of you. And then at a certain point. <laughs> It's like you are acknowledged as a child who is responsible enough to use a glue gun. And I felt that was a, I don't know, a, a, a big point, turning point for me. I keep that thing on me, man. The, the glue gun, I got it holstered, <laughs> ready to go at all times. <laughs> you never uh, know when you might need to make a, a, a cool little uh, doll out of corn husks or something. Yeah, exactly. So can you speak a little bit about the work that you do? The, like, while you're, like what you were actually out in L.A. doing? Yeah, we we are civil rights lawyers and advocates and and storytellers and and experts about the criminal punishment system in this country. And the bulk of our work over the last few years has been suing cities and counties and states and judges and prosecutors, sheriffs, police over sort of the rampant unconstitutional like conduct that they engage in every single day all over the country. So for example, as you and I are talking right now, there are 400 to 500,000 people depending on how you count in cages in this country solely because they can't afford to pay a cash payment to get out. These are people who are presumptively innocent. They're awaiting trial. They're supposed to be presumed innocent. And because their families don't have enough cash to keep them with their kids and their schools and their homes and their families and their jobs and their churches and their community, they're stuck in a cage. And so we have filed lawsuits all over the country. Last year, I argued a case that we brought in California that struck down the money bail system in California, as we know it on behalf of our client, Kenneth Humphrey. And so we've been doing a lot of work with people who've been directly harmed by the prison and jail system in California, advocates, public defenders, organizers, crime survivors, and others um, to try to figure out like how to reshape the pretrial system in California. And we do similar work all over the country, basically trying to resensitize our society to the extraordinary and senseless violence that the criminal punishment bureaucracy just inflicts on people with absolutely no evidence that it does any good or makes anyone any safer. Right. And that seems to be the biggest thing that 
whether it's like overtly being debated or subconsciously being debated, that seems to be the thing that many people are having a reckoning with, especially in California, is the idea of like, I, I just feel like maybe we just need to be cruel to people. So okay. I read less stories about shoplifting or that, you know, there's no acknowledgement, you know, of like the work that it takes to try and go up against something like the prison industrial complex and, you know, what, what that entails. Well, a really basic thing that a lot of people just don't seem to understand is that if police and prisons and prosecutors made people safer, then the U.S. would have the safest society in the history of the world. I mean, we cage people at rates that are five to ten times every other comparable country. We cage, pe- we cage black people at a rate six times out of South Africa at the height of apartheid. So if human caging and punishment and police and surveillance and batons and tasers and guns, if all that stuff made people safer, we would have an extraordinarily safe society. And yet we spend by far the most money on armed government bureaucrats of any country in the world. And those armed government bureaucrats specifically target very poor people in communities all over this country. And they have a terrible track record of improving public safety. And so mm-hmm. I think it's it's a really important thing to keep pointing out to people that Essentially, every other society in the world has figured out ways of having lower levels of violence with lower expenditures on things like handcuffs, cages, and prosecutors and cops. Right. Yeah, because yeah. I think in our way of thinking, it's like, well, what's the problem? All right, spend money on it rather than taking a little bit of a wider view. I'm like, well, what's driving crime? Because that's the one thing I always see absent with a lot of reporting around things like crime rates going up. It's like, crime's up, man. It's out of control and we got to get rid of these DAs and it's never I've, I've yet to read like a or hear a real sincere analysis of what crime even is in this country. And I think that's a, a, a huge blind spot. I think a lot of people have as well in, in the discourse. There's a lot of powerful people who also are making a lot of money who want you asking questions like, well, shouldn't we just be having, shouldn't we just be spending more money on more technology for cops and more stuff for prosecutors and more prison beds? And, you know, that'll help the union, the correction officers union, right? Um, What they Mm -hmm. don't want you asking are things like, should we pay attention to the research that shows that like having a stable place to live and having healthcare, mental health treatment, having good schools, having less inequality, having less starvation and poverty, those are actually the things that are correlated with violence and harm. But they don't Mm -hmm. want you asking those questions because- that solution to so-called violent crime would actually re- require deep investments in changing the levels of inequality in our society. And that's not something that most of the powerful politicians who control these narratives are actually interested in doing. Right. What is uh, what's something you think is overrated? Okay, I say this ever since I was a baby. I've been a night owl. I'm born. I am genetically wired as a nocturnal creature. I think being an early bird is overrated, overvalued. I think, yes, it's easier to it's easier to sort of succeed in society society <laughs> if you like, look at me. If I'd actually gotten any sleep, I could say that properly. <laughs> it's easier to succeed in society if you're like an early riser. I do get up. I'm exhausted all the time. But there's something to be said. I am so fun. I was so fun at a slumber party. I am so fun from the hours from like 11 to 3. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, there's something, there's a magic witching hour and, and it's not something you choose. It's just in your blood. And like, I think there's a real arrogance to like just genetic early risers. 
Right. That's what I'm yeah. saying. That's I'm I kind of feel the same. I I can be like dead the whole day yeah. and then suddenly like find a burst of energy like at 10 p.m. That's right. Because it's fun. Like, then It's a fun time then because it's still. OK, hour. wait. So is it fun because you're like everyone's asleep except us? Yeah. Or is it that you're like, I love sleep. So fuck the morning. I think. I think. I'm in my best spirits late at night. I have the most, cre- I'm like, my creative juices are going the most. Mm. I feel happiest, I think. I feel like kind of mischievous. Like, it's when I'm at my best. And I think the world, like, doesn't value that. Right. And you go help all those people who gave, uh, entrusted you with their secrets that's right Hide the body i gotta go i gotta go the, i gotta go deal with the body up some evidence i gotta go exactly <laughs> i've got I, i've got all my ammonia in my car i've got to go to different sites <laughs> yeah <laughs> damn that sounds that sounds like you got some experience well i always ammonia. say this because i had like a i had like a soot explosion at my house and uh from a fireplace and so i went like late at night to home to Home Depot, I was told like ammonia was going to help get it off of the walls and stuff. And the guy, it was like just me at 11 p.m. like at like the Eagle Rock Home Depot. <laughs> and the guy, I was like, hey, do you know where the ammonia is? The guy that worked there, he looked like he was like 18. He looked at me, he goes, just make sure you use enough to knock them out. <laughs> I was like, what? Wow. And then I added Damn. it up. I was like, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I started laughing. I was like, what if I was here for that? And he goes, hey, I didn't see anything. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see anything. I was like, oh my God. That guy's the vault. That guy's yeah. the vault. That's the sort of fun interaction you don't have when you go into Home Depot in the morning. Thank you. They're not going to yeah. be like fun and flirty and be like, ah, we're both serial killers. <laughs> They're going to be like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> those like sexy... over there, just like, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, you know those fun, flirty serial killer interactions. Right. Yeah. <laughs> journal entry that night. Mm-hmm. Dear journal, <laughs> I finally met her. <laughs> she understands this, me. This blonde woman with a high-pitched voice, finally. I felt like Neo, the one. Here she's here. Right. She's finally came looking for the ammonia. <laughs> She's also a murderer. <laughs> yeah. The downside of that is, is that the only the only other people you find buying among you in the middle of the night at Home Depot are probably using it to clean up a a mess. A let's mess. put it. Yeah. Yes. That Everyone's way. cleaning up a mess of some kind. You know? Can I yeah. just say one more interaction I had at the Home Depot? So then I of checked course. out. This is what you get at midnight at the Home Depot. I was checking out. And the moment I was like, how are you doing to the security guard? It was this lady. And she's like, ugh. Not good. My my co. <laughs> oh, I thought it just ended there. She's not yeah, good. Not good. She See, goes, she goes magic. She goes. My coworker. He just called me. He's like stuck somewhere. He's in a car. There's a bunny running around in his car, just like pissing and shit, eating the seeds everywhere. And he didn't have anything to clean it up. And I told him, I'm not driving an hour to clean up the bunny shit. And I'm like, wait, wait, what? Like, there's some dude, like just some random bunny, like. <laughs> What is happening? And this, maybe, maybe this was just a figment of my imagination. Maybe yeah. I was just like tripping on ayahuasca and I never went to Home Depot. And that this- ammonia. Yeah. Right. Who knows? Slow yeah. Yeah. That's what happens. That's what happens if you're a night owl. You get jewels like that. Yeah. Uh, Greg, what's something you think is underrated? Underrated. Okay. Here, I'm going out on a limb here. I'm going to say buttered noodles. You know, I think, I think everybody wants to give a lot, you know, you give credit to the, you know, a, a marinara or a, or a vodka sauce or a carbonara, mm-hmm. you know, that's where, that's your go-to in your head when you're thinking about pasta. But 
when you just go take a little bit of butter, maybe throw in some grilled onions. If you're making like a bone-in chicken, you add a little schmaltz into that. Top mm. it with some Parmesan. That's that's like really good food that's like really easy to do and isn't a whole, it's not a whole headache in the kitchen. You can just kind of like toss it together and suddenly that's a that's a top quality side dish or whole dish. Right. So it brings <laughs> out controversial, the Controversial, I know. <laughs> no, it is kind of controversial. It's like, like not controversial with young children. I think young children yeah, they tend fucking to love that shit. Love a buttered noodle. It really, I I think of it as like too bland for me. I'm a real I'm a real tomato bitch. I love. Oh, I mean, I tomato love tomato sauce. Yeah. I love tomato salsa. But yeah, I I've never been into the buttered noodles because it tastes too much like noodles to me and not not enough like i don't know what i have associated pasta with which is the marinara sauce but that's... maybe that's the key to the greatness of butter noodles is it's mm. like this is the base of the dish right like technically yeah. you're showing up for spaghetti and you've associated it with the marinara on top but the noodles should be the highlight yeah. of that dish and then to get more into like like, I've recently really gotten into ramen, and I'm, like, reading recipes on how to make it from scratch mm -hmm. and stuff. And, like, there's so much technique in a noodle and, like, crafting it. You know, what kind of flour? What kind of grind on that flour? How long are you mixing it? At what temperature? That I think if you get a quality noodle and you're just tasting it with just a little bit of butter, you're really putting that noodle, like, on a pedestal and asking people to taste just that noodle. And I could see, I could see where that would be, like, you know, this is the highlight, like really experience mm. and enjoy this part of the dish that typically you're just trying to get through. OK, I see it. Yeah. Are you putting uh -huh. high quality like noodle in into a buttered noodle dish? No, I'm saying you get you get some egg noodles <laughs> and then you just okay. you just get some like grilled onions. You mix that in and suddenly Parmesan on top and you've got you've got something more than just a butter noodle, I think. OK. Yeah. All right. I think I think. Yeah. All right, but controversial. Highly we'll controversial, be hearing from our listeners, maybe more than any guest we've ever had. Sure. But <laughs> uh, all right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about inflation and Valentine's Day. And we are back. And mm, Elon Musk. Let's talk about Elon Musk really quick. Ooh. He has had a wild couple of weeks. He's had to pretend to donate billions of dollars to himself in a move to distract people from another story that came out that his Neuralink company was basically unethically experimenting on monkeys or many were dying after he's like, put this brain chip in them. Oh, it's untold suffering. I don't know. Whatever. And now. We're hearing about a lawsuit from some of his black empo employees in a Fremont, California factory claiming that, you know, the workplace is a racist hellscape. Wouldn't be surprised. They're like, oh, wow, really? The, the guy who the, the boy with emeralds in his pocket from apartheid South Africa hmm. letting race anti-black racism cook in his facilities? I don't know. I mean, obviously, he doesn't run HR, but it's his company. So you're going to have to understand. We'll, we'll have to, you know, look into that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So this lawsuit. Uh, has been following through it's like comes after a three year investigation into Tesla. And it alleges that black and African-American employees at the company's Fremont plant are, quote, segregated to the lowest levels, meaning in some places, black employees are meant to scrub the floors on their hands and knees where 
employees who are not black did not have to do that kind of labor, also being subjected to some of like the hardest physical labor within the plant. Quote, this is from an NPR article that goes on to say, quote, the lawsuit describes multiple instances of racist language and drawings toward black employees, penalizing black employees more harshly than white employees and denying black employees career advancement opportunities and equal pay for work similar to that of other employees. When they say racist language and drawings, we're talking about graffiti that was like fucking all over the place, according to this lawsuit, like everywhere. The bathroom stalls, workbenches, lunch tables with things like KKK, hangman's nooses, go back to Africa, uh, using the N-word in all kinds of ways that you can imagine. And this is on top of, like they said, of being such a segregated environment that the <laughs> some of these racist co-workers had given nicknames to the parts of the factory where most of the black employees were uh, working every day. They would refer to some parts of the factory as, quote, the slave ship or the plantation, in addition to other slurs. One black worker, quote, heard these racial slurs as often as 50 to 100 times a day. Mm -hmm. It's a very, uh, very fucked up story. And sadly, this isn't the first time this shit has happened because another former employee was just awarded by a judge almost $140 million for the racism that they had to endure at Tesla. And like in their defense, Tesla just posted to their blog with this rebuttal that essentially said it like, we've been investigated like 50 times for racial discrimination and not once did they find us to be acting in violation of the law. <laughs> and it's like, I'm sorry, 50 times? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, hmm? That's so insane. It's like, it's like when my parents... Like I was sneaking out of the house all the time as a kid, but I never got caught. It doesn't mean I wasn't sneaking out of the house. It just means <laughs> right. I wasn't getting caught. Like Right. Insane. It's a very. Yeah. I mean, that, like that. I don't think th I, I guess they think that's a good defense. Although like even like the, the like labor board was sort of like the, a lot of even their internal like investigations aren't compliant with like the actual law. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's like most organizations that investigate themselves where they're sort of like yeah let me look okay yep clears yep. <laughs> yeah no lies say, detected anything yeah 100 yeah, <laughs> it's uh yeah so the uh, <laughs> this uh elon musk nonsense continues and then uh not to mention that this week too he was like he's like shit posting like hitler memes uh talking about trudeau because of like you know them trying to hold up crypto payments to the racist convoy mm -hmm. and it was like it was like a meme of Hitler that said, like, hey, don't compare to me, me to him. I had a budget. And it's like, what are you? God, God the fuck. Like, such a gremlin. I hate No, I giving gremlins a bad name. Yeah. yeah leave, <laughs> come on. Leave Gizmo alone. You leave Gizmo out of this. <laughs> You're right. I, yeah. It's like even the moment I ever heard his name, like the last his name literally sounds like a Batman villain. Like he doesn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like this. There, no good can come from somebody named Elon Musk. Are you kidding yeah, me? Musk. It's, yeah. yeah the, the name is too too many hard consonant sounds, and that feels like like a. It sounds like a swear word already. Yeah. Right. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just funny because he's as he you know goes more and more like openly or like right wing like what his like fans are going to be like, are they also going to be like, yeah, man, fucking the Holocaust didn't happen. But like, we got to have electric cars. We really need to think about <laughs> like, is that the 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 weird byproduct of Elon Musk? Like, I don't right. know. It's such a conundrum to me because it's like, 
I we need like that type of technology electric or like some some alternative to you know burning fossil fuels and and all that kind of stuff so I'm like yeah electric cars sounds good to me but the main like the one of the biggest manufacturers of them is a like just a piss pot piss pot a chamber yeah. pot of a human I would yeah. say as we yeah. would say back in Victorian England. <laughs> it also always boggles my mind when people have the, they consider these types of people, they're like heroes and will go to battle for them no matter what. Where I'm like, what this, do you think if you were in a real world scenario where you met this person that they would even give any type of shit about you? No. It, it's like so wild to me that they put them on a pedestal when I'm like, they would literally step on your neck if they had a chance. Like it's yeah. crazy. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it, they're, it, they're, people have, you know, everyone has these odd parasocial relationships. And the ones with like billionaires are like really confounding to me mm-hmm. because they're like they they're actually like the root cause of all the chaos and instability, instability that you're feeling down on the other end of like the socioeconomic <laughs> ladder. Like, right. But you're so your anger that you're actually using to defend Elon Musk, you, you, you're it's completely misdirected. And I get for a lot of people, he's like he feels like this fucking like fantasy story of like a guy who likes science who like is now like this you know like shitty version of uh what's the dude from uh iron man you know what i mean oh tony stark, stark. Yeah. yeah he's like tony stark mm-hmm. he's like the new like you know his own hair plugged version of tony stark <laughs> and in that sense you know like no shade I, I i remember the old photos of you when paypal came out in 2000 very different hairline but that's the glow up that we can experience with billions of dollars so Right. One day. One day. I'll get, that's why I defend him for my right to get <laughs> hair Honestly, plugs. I'm starting to see a correlation between people becoming worse humans when they get hair plugs. It's like it's like infecting their brain. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I mean, who, okay, so Jeremy Piven, mm-hmm. you know, hair that the plugs, the plugs took him to an interesting path, although he's been pretty quiet, I, I feel. Who else? Uh, I do Elon. think that, well. Antonio Banderas? See, that's people don't know about his plugs. Wait, I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hang on a second. Well, that you need a lot if you're going to be a cat. Sorry, to- yeah. stupid <laughs> reference. <laughs> uh, uh, deep cut of Puss in Boots. Anybody know? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I got you. What about uh, Billy Zane? I mean, he's just, he's the best. So Is he? Oh, yeah. How do his plugs look? They look good? Well, uh, well, I don't even know if he's using them anymore. Maybe he got. Can you take them out? (laughs) Or maybe you never had them. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about Billy Zane and plugs. Is Travolta wearing toupees or or plugs? Mm. I think he's wearing a whole new face. (laughs) Right. Face off. Speaking of uh, Nicolas Cage, I feel like has plugs. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, he's tried he he was kind of like back in those '90s films when his hair looked different every film, <laughs> and like nobody really just asked about it. They're like, yeah, 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 yeah. He looks great. He looks great. You're like, hold on now. They they have the hair, the same hair and makeup person on this other film, maybe mm-hmm. not. But yeah, uh, shout out to B- uh, Billy Zane because you say Billy Zane is a, a cool guy still. I mean, I don't know him personally, but based on his performance in Titanic. Mm-hmm. And yes, he is the villain, but right. isn't the iceberg actually the villain? I would say mm. that Billy Zane Man's seems greed. cool, is my point. Yeah. Someone said that he 
had some kind of disorder that made him bald. Um, and I'm just reading a Reddit thread, so don't believe anything <laughs> I'm reading right now. And then someone said, no, in an interview, he said it was just male pattern baldness started when he was 25. Okay. Okay. Anyway. Thank you, Reddit. Wasn't he Thank the you, shadow? aggressive Reddit user. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For defending Billy Zane's lack of hair and the root causes of it. But yeah, shout out to uh, for the people who got plugs and went positive with it. We oh, need that's you. A big, that's a big <laughs> yeah, we need you more than ever. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about uh, something else dangerous to do. Driving high. Mm-hmm. For some people. For me, yeah. <laughs> but mostly because I, when... I was the type of high person that would drive seven miles per hour <laughs> tops and feel right. like I was speeding and also that everyone was looking at me. But, you know, I also know I have some good friends who have been using weed since middle school as like ADD medication and like aced their GMAT, like just high out of their mind because like they are better at stuff when they're high. Right. So it really depends. That's the hard bit about trying, you know, as like more and more states legalize recreational cannabis, you know, the thing all law enforcement is like, well, how do we pull people the fuck over for being high while driving? That's like the fucking white whale that law enforcement is searching for. And I think in general, a lot of people too, even like stoners say, look, if there was a way for you to actually be like, hey, man, motherfucker, you're too high to drive because people would be like, I've been so high, I shouldn't drive. And most people just don't. But if there was a way to say verifiably, this person is too high to drive. and We've proved it with this test that doesn't rely on, you know, some guy's stepdad from the 70s being an <laughs> asshole. Then maybe this would be like a fair application of the law. But as it stands, we just have things like blood tests that will measure like the amount of nanograms of THC in your blood. But since THC is fat soluble, it's not like alcohol, which is water soluble. That shit can stay in your system for weeks or maybe just a couple days or hours, depending on your biology. So that's not really a good way to measure it. And also it only measures like how much THC is in your blood. It doesn't necessarily measure if, if how impaired you might be. And then, you know, standard sobriety tests wield pretty wildly inconsistent results because, you know, some like you're saying, some people are completely fucked up, can be completely fucked up. Some people are normal and some people have fucking super strength somehow. So the need for something that can measure someone's cognitive impairment that isn't like rife with cultural biases or discriminatory leanings of a police officer is like critical to have a balanced application of the law. So a few states, again, have said, well, maybe the blood test the same thing. But even cops are like, that's not even close. Like this person looks sober and then their blood said one thing. I'm like, that doesn't even feel right, even for the police. So there's a device called Cogniview, which is being touted as the solution to this problem. And it was first is developed as like a test for cognitive decline in aging people just to see like, okay, we can begin to see like their reaction time, like their ability to track things with their eyes. And that's where I was familiar with it from. You making right. me take it after a couple <laughs> of slow recordings. Right. And I'm like, Jack, come on now. Which one of these is not a real word? <laughs> so that's what this like whole the, this machine does. It like looks like a little laptop and it has like a jog wheel in the center of it. So it'll do things like ask questions like literally which shape is different and show you like a few different shapes. So you have to discern which is different or like which word is real. And you have to rotate the knob to like select the answer. And if you take Ugh. too long 
the test will just move on and like record that as like a non-answer oh. or just begin to calculate what your impairment That's is. That's where I started having a panic attack. Literally, was that I'm, part where it was oh. like, it'll just move on as you're going to the right yeah, answer. Oh. I was like, no! no yeah. Literally hearing this, the knobs and the moving on, I... <laughs> I, I'm the, I can't smoke pot because I, I am the full panic attack. Like, I go right to Middle Earth. I go right to, like, Smeagol. <laughs> like, right. If you don't hold on to my hand, I will slip to Middle Earth. Or if I don't con I'm, I'm, like, such a buzzkill. And everyone's like, right. I want to see you high. It's like, not if you want to have a good time, you don't. Yeah. So <laughs> even just hearing that just right. literally cripples me with panic. Oh, and it's and it has like many different things, like little oh. ways to make the test harder. Like the wheel will like be harder to rotate. They say as if it was in peanut butter. How dare you? Like, so just to like fully begin to like take advantage of oh. like, oh, is this throwing them off? Because the wheel moves a little bit slower than the first question. Then they, this <laughs> one seems like super wild too. To for to see how well they respond to visual stimuli, they make like these flashing frantic dots, and it'll instruct you stay on the bright dots. No. And you have like a green wedge that you can hover over, like with the <laughs> rotating knob. Dude. And you have to like put it over the white twinkling like dots, or, and but don't mistake them for the gray ones around it. And again, these are things that are just meant to slowly see your reaction time and things like this. So to test this, like how well this machine worked uh, in this Wired article, they were like, they these people got together in Colorado, a group of like cops from New York who are trained in something called dr their drug recognition experts, which just sound like like the most annoying parents oh. kind of thing. Like, they're right. like, oh, we're, we're trained to recognize when someone's drugged out. And you're like, I oh, can't. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. They write, they write those, like, lists that are like, here's what to look for if your kid oh, yeah. is, like, smoking pot. And Put a UV light on their tongue to see if they've had <laughs> edibles. Like, it's, like, literally shit like that. So... The cops, they did they did their thing where like they were looking at the same group of stoners, like a bunch of stoners volunteered for this. And they used their, you know, skills to figure out which who was high from there. And then a lot of and then also the people used the Cogniview machine and the results were mixed. Oh, because again, <laughs> it cannabis affects everybody so differently. The cops attended to be when they actually looked at the data, they were more lenient in their assessment than the wow. fucking machine was like. And a lot of the people, the stoners involved are like, ah, like it just seemed like like the cops are actually a, an easier experience for me to deal with than like the machine that felt, like made me feel like I was completely failing at like like basic motor skills. But the thing that is sort of also tricky with this is about 40 percent of smokers like like stoners, they think they drive better when they're high. Or at least they say they're more focused and aware, which I I think anyone who smokes weed has heard that refrain very consistently. Like, Dude, yeah. I don't drive faster. I drive slower. Like I'm more aware, and you know that that's a that's not the best sentiment to have when it comes to road safety. And you're like, no, when I smoke this shit and I go slow mo, I'm a better driver. But then you looked at this test, and some people with the Cogniview machine, they were like outliers who performed better after smoking. So that was really yeah. fucking up. Like the administrators are being like, fuck. Like this guy looked stoned off his face and he was like killing, he was crushing the scores. Like even for like sober, like genius people we've used to like kind of get an average of how people respond. So all that to say is it's still a very, very tricky thing to figure out because there's really no one way to, you know, discern what someone's level of impairment is. Just hearing about that machine, it reminds me of 
going to the eye doctor and when you have to look at that thing and they're like, click every time you see the squiggly line, you know mm-hmm. that? And it's like, I just am so panicked about seeing the squiggly line that I feel like it, it does. The test always says that I can't see anything because I'm right. so panicking and clicking. Yeah. I, whoever came up with that, this this stoned driving thing, it feels like they just want everyone to fail. Right. Well, yeah. And I think that's the hard part is like even law enforcement and like other like district attorneys are like, dude, we don't have anything good to really be able to figure this out. And that's why they're scrambling to figure this out. Because, I mean, I think at the end of the day, like everyone's so into this idea of impairment and it and I mean, not that everyone's so into it, but like with things like alcohol, it's pretty straightforward. But with some substances such as this, you know, some people end up becoming fucking Superman after smoking. So it's like, how do we what 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 is what is the way to to even keep people safe? Right. Um, like if, unless you just trust stoners like, hey, man, I get it, dude. You get it. Right. Like if if the person is good at this test after after smoking and like getting pulled over, like you probably I wouldn't feel that bad letting them drive, even if they were out like super high, because clearly they have their shit together. Like that's what. And then if you are wouldn't be good at this test, like this test sounds bad enough to me to like if I smoked weed, I would never drive ever again just they take your license based on the cognitive (laughs) i just i'd stop driving i'd i'd give away my license on the off chance that i would get pulled over i'll just steal Uh, it from you again at the grove i'll take it from you fair yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i I think it's it you know we're we're yet to figure out the best one and i even like colloquial someone who smokes a lot i'm like i don't really know how because like my balance is good you know sometimes i'll ask people like you know count to 30 in your head like, and I'm like, I have a pretty good internal clock. So I'm not sh- like it's it, there's no real uniform way to do this unless they should like, just make this publicly available and everybody can go like get get high at the DMV, <laughs> then take this test and oh, you can get right. a I, I'm an OK stoned driver license. And I would never like I, am, sticker. I would fail immediately. I right. I would and that's why we shouldn't stoner. have our stoned yeah. <laughs> stoned driver's license. Yeah. But yeah. Miles could test his luck. See, oh. see. Yeah, I because I do. I mean, I think a lot of a lot of people get high and play video games. You know yeah. what I mean? And I'm killing it out there. Oh, yeah. You know, and these videos. Oh, yeah. Games. So. I, I don't like great another video game to play while I'm high. Say less, officer. <laughs> like, but right. yeah, it's not there. Uh, they're they're still having trouble, and you know, I think as long as we have the you know carceral system as it is, they're they're gonna do their damnedest to try and find a way to make it like like this is it. It's the most infallible test ever. Right, but, and they're not like pinning this to a rise in like fatal car accidents tied to people driving stoned, right? It's just well, like in in Washington they did initially, right after legalization, they said, "Oh my God, look at all these like these like twice as many people are testing with THC in these like terrible car accidents." But again, that goes back to the thing of like that doesn't mean that they were stoned when they were driving. Some person could have smoked three days before and had like a certain amount of nanograms of THC in their blood. Right. So okay. that's not straightforward. And even then they said fatal car crashes were actually on a decline in that period where they were even looking at it. It just meant that now that you were looking for it, you have more data to suggest maybe more people use cannabis. But does that mean yeah. the same thing? Not always. And I think that's what makes it so tricky. Yeah. 
some people are way worse drivers. If you are one of those people, don't don't drive. But then also fewer people are like doing those. Have you ever seen have you seen those like dash cam videos of people like having shootouts on the highway? <laughs> like because what? like because of road rage incidents? Oh, what? I saw that guy who like yeah. pulled a gun out of his center console and was like yeah, shooting and out of just tra- like firing at a guy who was also firing at him as he drove by. What? Like it was fucking yeah. I need to America. see that. America. 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 Yeah, it's fucking like it's weird because even as I saw him, I'm like, oh, he's going for his gun. I'm like, oh, he's shooting out of his car window. And I was like, this is normal. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was that road rage incident recently where somebody worked for like the, I think it was the Florida state GOP was shot and killed after he basically got into an argument with somebody in a Prius. And they, the GOP guy was in a, in a larger SUV type car, came back, rammed him and then started firing his gun at the guy in the Prius. And the guy in the Prius just took him out. But Oh, my God. That also sounds like somebody who maybe should have tried smoky weed. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. And the other detail of that is he had done, the GOP guy who got killed had done the exact same thing the year before. What? <laughs> it was like, wow. Yeah. He had a hobby. Yeah. I'd imagine, like, yo, anybody who's, that reckless with their road rage, I'm like, look, keep an eye on them. Yes. Right. The yeah. most I do when I'm getting road rage is with my windows rolled up, go, what the fuck? Right. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I assume I'm going to lose a fight with anybody. So I, and you never know who's just looking like, just give me, give me a reason. You know what yeah. I mean? Give me so, a reason. So, so I, I try to just, just push yeah. it down and deal with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I like to be very approving of them. And be like, great, awesome job. Oh, yes, that's right. smart. Reverse psychology. Fucking you're nailed right. it. Yep. You nailed it. I am a piece <laughs> of shit. Have a great day. I do there that with is. trolls on like Twitter. I, I remember people would, sometimes people would be angry. Like if I would win like at midnight, you would get an extra amount of like, I hate her face. Why did she win? You know? And like, so then I would always just reply, thank because they would at you, you know? So I would yeah. just write back and write, thank you with an exclamation point. <laughs> and like, nobody knew what to do. I wouldn't engage. I would never reply again. I wouldn't. Yeah. But I think people were so confused. It's like, yeah, obviously I saw it. So I just write back, thank you. Some of yeah. them would then reply and be like, no, I mean, you know, your face is okay. I just, yeah. you know, I just, uh, I just really like. Oh my God, uh, I didn't that. think you were going to see it. Yeah, I just really yeah. like Nick oh. Thune. I thought Nick Thune was pretty funny, but you're okay too. <laughs> like, yeah. It was nice to meet a fan. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. 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 I, that is, I just, it's, it really is. I think it's the best way to deal with a troll. Thank you. Right. Oh yeah. Kill him with kindness. Kill him with kindness. There was- there was so there was like an epic one I feel like a couple of years ago. It may have been Sarah Silverman where they're like, "Hey man, it sounds like you're going through some stuff." And like a few replies later, the person just broke down and was like, "Hey, you know, to be honest, I am kind of going through a rough spot. <laughs> wow, nobody really, I haven't really I thought about it like that. And it was just wow. like such a turn, and you're like, mm, see, everyone's right. hurting. Everybody's hurting. hurting. Mm. As that great R.E.M. song says, everybody's hurting. hurting. Everybody's hurting. Because <laughs> everybody's <laughs> hurting <laughs> most of the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about early 2000s officially coming back. And we're back. And 
Actually, Alec, the thing that made me think about this is you had pointed out that Erica Adams is trying to get drill rap videos banned from social media after some rappers were killed in New York recently. And like it's a it's become a high profile news story. And you, I think, had a tweet to the effect of, you know, Adams is also planning on banning the opera because uh you know, people who engage in wage theft and tax evasion like tend to go there. And so this guy, DG is serious on Twitter, and lest you doubt his journalistic bona fides, came at you and was like, like, you can't be serious. You think like we're going to be able to solve those problems, like the the things that, you know, we've been talking about on this podcast, like uh, wage theft, caging humans, lack of funding for schools and programs that invest in the humanity of underserved communities, he he dismissed it as like, you know, unrealistic or childish and then and just like clout chasing, I guess. And I, I actually a couple weeks ago, we had somebody on the show and we were like they made some point to the effect of like that the system is is fucked up and, you know, that kind of aligned with what we've been talking about and then like stopped and was like, I, I know it sounds childish and I, I think that's something that, like, I also internalized at a certain point is, like, just, ha- like, pointing out these very basic problems is, like, idealistic and childish and, like, not some, like, the the realistic people are out here pointing out individual, like, acts of violence. Like, when you go to the guy who you were arguing with on Twitter's thread, he, like, has these posts of, like... A mur- like a video of a murder happening and is like the Bronx is out of control. And like, so he's the the serious one while arguing for the banning of rap music on social media. Like, I, do you do you run up against that a lot? Like just sort of the you're being unrealistic or childish all the time. I mean, I think he's maybe a bad example because he's not really a serious person because, right. you know, like he he really showed who he was, not just with all the insults he was hurling at me as I was trying to just like have a reasonable like <laughs> debate, but like he then said that Eric Adams is also trying to address all these root causes. <laughs> and then he cited to Adams's crime plan, which is literally the exact opposite. Like, you know, Adams is, is trying to beef up, uh, you know, roll back bail reform and beef up cops and all this stuff and, and not addressing things like healthcare and housing and inequality. And, and so, you know, this guy's not a serious person, but I think what was really revealing about the exchange, in which I do see a lot, is politicians and sort of very comfortable people are constantly trying to dis- to distract us from having the real conversation about structural inequalities in our society, about divestment from safe places to live and systems of care. And what they want us to do is focus on like, bad individual bad apples or well this week the problem is music so like we don't have to confront poverty and inequality and deprivation and loneliness and and toxic masculinity and all these other things that are sort of big social structural problems all we have to do is ban this type of rap music and tomorrow it's going to be all we have to do is get rid of bail reform and the next day it's going to be all we have to do is get rid of this district attorney in los angeles because everything was so much better the last 30 years before we had this district attorney, right? And and every single day they point to some other little thing that is not fixing the deeper structural problems in our society. And to me, that kind of argument is just such a joke. It's hard to even 
engage with someone seriously about it, but there are a lot of well-meaning people that get trapped up in this. And so I think it's important sometimes to treat this as a serious argument and to point out sort of why it's so flawed. Yeah, it, it's, it's again, it's so much easier to just say, to, to ignore like all of the root causes like you're talking about and just turn it into this thing of like this like very understandable evil that exists somewhere. And it's this, this drill rap. I mean, the disses are too violent and that's what's causing all of this chaos. But again, people like the example people always fail to like really think about too is like, well, then how come, you know, what, what about why is there not a drill scene in Beverly Hills? You know, right. why is there not a drill scene in these more affluent areas? And what what would happen then? Would that would those people suddenly be overtaken by the demonic drill music and then begin killing each other? Or is it about the the outcomes that people are offered based on their their place in this in like in this sort of caste system that we have in the in the country? And rather than saying like, you know, when people are deprived and desperate, we we begin to do things that have to ensure our survival. And to distill it to, well, these lyrics are too hot. Again, it, it, everything is just sort of about avoiding the real solution to something, which is we need to address rampant inequality. We need to address this stuff. The, the greed of the wealthy has only exacerbated these things. But again, I think that's much easier for people who probably feel that, you know, their livelihood or something is at risk with some kind of increased equality in society. I think those kinds of explanations help those people wrap their minds around it because it's like, well, certainly it's not this other thing that I've been completely turning a blind eye to my whole life. Right. It's drill music. And if you think about it, yeah, I, I believe drill music was around uh, even in the 60s. You know what I mean? Like, what? Wh why is it always this, like, changing, uh, this evolving sort of, like, fake target that, you know, allows people just to avoid, again, like, always avoiding the the part of the conversation, which is, yeah, we have to we have to fundamentally change a lot of things. And there's something about this guy that I just wanted to underline because he's a Pulitzer Center grantee, which I don't really know what that means, but it sounds impressive. And like he has a picture like his uh, Twitter header is like a picture of him like doing war reporting and like being on the ground and like being there for violence happening in other countries. And then he has this post of like a video of somebody being murdered and the degree to which like it's ingrained in our like values and the values that I like grew up with where like the, you know, action movies are about the police and like doing like real serious things and like serious people taking care of serious problems and like that that sort of idea that you're serious because you are kind of focusing on the like very short term like cause and effect of like violent conflict, like that that is the serious thing to do. And then actually talking about structural issues is like the the not serious thing like that. I don't know. It's just especially now with social media, which I feel 90 years old every time I complain about social media, but like it is so like it, every, every aspect of this value system of like, you know, being able to over index whatever problem you want to exaggerate is like so deeply ingrained in like how how we communicate and get information that I'm I don't know. Like, I is there anything that makes you feel hopeful, Alec, like about the struggle that you're kind of engaged in? I think it's easy to feel 
hopeless because the problems in front of us seem so daunting and and you've got very powerful interests who not only are controlling how all of this money is being spent, all these policies, but they're also, you know, ones who own the media system in which these discussions are being had. But at the same time, there's a whole new generation of people that are seeing through this stuff that are having conversations that we just weren't having 10 years ago. And, you know, when I was a younger lawyer, just starting out in this space, there was really no one talking about the need to shrink the size of the criminal punishment bureaucracy, to take money away from police departments, to invest in in communities of care. No one in, in sort of these elite spaces, that is. Obviously, the people in these communities that are directly targeted have been talking about this, you know, uh, from the very beginning. But there's a, I think one of the reasons we've seen this incredible pushback from the police and from these media interests and is precisely because they were threatened by a lot of the growing social movement to change the way our society thinks about its investment priorities. And so I think that is a positive. We we are definitely seeing a movement of people led by the people that are most targeted by these systems of of human caging and surveillance and brutality and violence. And that's encouraging. And we're in a reactionary backlash right now. But the thing that it's reacting to is is a very encouraging set of developments. And I think it's very, very important that anyone interested in this comes together with other people who are interested in it and starts getting involved in their own community, whether it's in mutual aid, whether it's in bail funds, whether it's in organizing around environmental issues, health issues, housing issues, criminal punishment system issues, mutual aid like efforts, immigration issues. There's so many ways to plug in that, you know, around something that you're personally really passionate about that all are sort of factoring into us building the systems of care that we need that are going to replace this horrific system of violence. And I think that's all positive. Yeah, yeah it's, I mean, yeah, th- like to your point, it's clear that the, that like a moment of clarity for people over in the summer of 2020, where many people are just like, hold on. Yeah. Is this the right thing? Is this the way we get out of this? That scared the shit out of law enforcement, clearly, because We've seen them pour every single thing they can into countering the sort of clarity that some that many people are beginning to arrive to, which is sort of like, yeah, I'm not sure that this carceral system is the way that we solve things. It sounds like we need to actually help people rather than solving the failures of our capitalist capitalist society by just investing more in punishing the poor. I think people are beginning to be like, that doesn't quite connect. And yeah, when you see them, this all in thing of like, man, the shoplifting, this, the, that, the, it's the drill music. It does, you, you can tell that they're in a much different posture than before when I think people were just much more willing to accept whatever the local news said and just be like, yeah, I mean, if that's what the cops say, yeah, go ahead. And now I think with story after story about abuses that occur in the, in the, the legal system, it's it's hard to, I don't know how you counter that aside from just going further into your bad habits of stoking more fear without really being able to like present the people with actual wins that law enforcement has been behind, you know, like they're not out here being like, Hey, you know what? We revamped, we turned half of our force into like first responders for people who are in need of like a mental health intervention and things like that. And look at the crime. It's gone down, baby. You could leave a bike out and nobody's going to steal it because they're just unable to do that because that the, the way the system works for them is 
No, we just have to keep brutalizing poor people. That's the only thing this thing is set up to do. So uh, we're just going to turn up the heat on that. And I think it, it has this effect of on one side, a lot of people really, I see it all the time. People I used to go to high school with on Instagram who are like looking at taking a picture of a dumpster that has graffiti on it. And you can tell how like cop brained they are because they're like, oh my gosh, do I need to get a gun now? Yeah. There's, there's graffiti on this dumpster behind my office building. And I see this is what's happening right now because people are running just out here doing whatever they want because there's no law enforcement while many others are just sort of like, no, no, I, all I see actually is a lot of pain and suffering that has gone unaddressed. And that to me is a more pressing concern than, oh, do we have to lock up, you know, the Mach 3 razors at the fucking pharmacy? And so, yeah, like I that yes with all the with all the momentum clearly that you know this narrative that's been introduced by you know the powers that be in law enforcement etc there is like there is just that little bit of clarity that you're beginning to see a lot of like people sort of step into as it relates to like what's actually plaguing our our country i mean i it, i think it's worth talking about the the convoy that's happening up in canada because like they without any <laughs> Without any coherent worldview other than like sort of an underlying white supremacy that everybody seems to be on board with, they were pretty successful in like making everyone's lives miserable and like grinding everything to a halt for for a number of days. And they definitely have the built in advantage of the police also being on <laughs> on board with the fact that they're waving na Nazi flags. I feel like if you replace those flags with black lives matter flags we're we're dealing with a whole different situation oh yeah but so i mean the latest in this story is that trudeau is invoking the emergencies act which is the canadian act that was used to suppress people's rights during world war 1 world war 2 in internment camps and then in 1988 they reshaped the war act to like give it a little bit more congressional oversight but it's it's a fair it's a pretty problematic like and scary use of force that the government is like kind of coming in and using or like invoking i guess and i'm just like wondering i don't know do like is there any part like the movement for progress and social justice like should we be looking at like these sorts of actions that actually like fucking disrupt an entire city like this is not a well thought out plan but it's just something that's happening in the news and i'm just like wondering without them having any coherent argument or complaint they are succeeding like if what if a you know the movement to end wage theft like did something like this a thing that actually affects more truckers than the six percent of anti-vaxxer truckers in in uh canada like why why don't we see more things like that should we see more things like that where it's like a very disruptive um you know behavior like this absolutely i mean this is why you've seen states particularly conservative states across the country criminalized to an extraordinary degree these kinds of direct actions. So now if you did this in a number of states in the U.S., you could be hit with huge felony charges, go to prison for life, you'd be called a terrorist, 
the federal government can prosecute. You know, they they just prosecuted two women in, in Iowa for, you know, disrupting climate infrastructure, and they prosecuted them as terrorists. And this is, when, when it's being done on the left-wing side, all of the incredible bureaucratic apparatus of state violence is arrayed against you and you're called a terrorist. Whether it's people who are trying to disrupt animal agriculture or, or to, you know, toxic fossil fuel infrastructure. I think there's a really interesting and thought-provoking new book called How to Blow Up a Pipeline by a Swedish climate activist and philosopher, which essentially, you know, makes the, the case that you just made, Jack, but makes it really beautifully. It's really fun and short read. Even more beautifully than I just made it, I thought I really nailed that. Oh, well, obviously was, not as beautiful with as all you. my stuttering and uh, and uh, <laughs> pauses. I thought I thought I really nailed it. Yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt. <laughs> no, no, it's a, it's a. I think you should send him some notes, and maybe the next version of his book can be <laughs> yeah. can be a little bit more eloquent. Absolutely. But How to Blow Up a Pipeline is a really inspiring read about the need for direct action on the level that actually confronts the enormity of the ecological disaster and collapse that we're about to confront as a sort of a global world. And, and you know, the more that starts to happen, the more repression we're going to see, the more things like what Trudeau just did are going to be arrayed against anyone remotely pushing environmental or social justice. And it's going to be very, very scary, especially as significant migration of hundreds of millions of people starts to become sort of the monthly norm. Right. The, yeah, I, I guess any, anything that somebody is learning from this should be taken with a, like, like I think it has been allowed to go on this long because it doesn't have any coherent like agenda or argument that is like picking up steam with anybody that, that I can tell other than just white supremacy. Like, so I feel like they're like, yeah, sure, hang out, you know, but take a picture. There, there are examples where the Ottawa police were letting the truckers, the these convoy protesters, take selfies in the back of their squad car, and then so that they could sp- spread misinformation that they had been arrested to like get people outraged. But of course, the police right. weren't arresting them. Yeah, well, I mean, it's telling when you're in the back of a squad car with no handcuffs on. Right. And, you're, and you're looking out the side and they're like, help. No, the, that's that's not what what's happening there. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, too, like they talk a lot about, you know, well, they don't want to send in the military or they don't want to really start, you know, rounding people up like they would at a, you know, a, a protest that would have involved uh, disenfranchised people of color or First Nations people. But, you know, there's been this insistence that they don't want this imagery of people actually being suppressed and being brutalized by the state. And I, you know, part of me is like, well, that's really just for them, because most people who are protesting, they don't need to be brutalized by the police at a protest to get in touch with their oppression. Most people already are, whereas this serves a very much visual narrative to be like, you see, because what we're talking about is total vaporware and bullshit. But if they get out here and start arresting us, then we can add a little bit more emotional energy to this to help, you know, kind of build some momentum, because at the end of the day, like you're saying, it's not many people are confused, you know, especially if you're outside of this anti-vax trucker convoy world where they're like, what are these fucking people doing? Like, this is nonsense. But, you know, they're very much in 
the in pursuit of those visuals to help sort of solidify or validate their sort of victim narrative, which is just truly not there, especially not when you're hugging the police uh, when they're supposed to be clearing you out. I mean, like I and I think that's the other part, too. It's very hard for people who, you know, have somewhat of a brain to look at that and go, that's weird. They hug those protesters but are firing rubber bullets straight into the eyes of the other people. And they're not, they weren't holding up global commerce. Hmm. All right. That's going to do it for this week's weekly zeitgeist. Please like, and review the show. If you like the show, uh, means the world to miles. He, he needs your validation folks. Uh, I hope you're having a great weekend and I will talk to you Monday. Bye.